Amen. Great job this morning. Great job. Amen. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, as we continue our study through the book of Philippians, we find ourselves in verses 12 through 18 this morning. Philippians chapter 1. I'll get there in just a moment. One of my favorite little episodes in the ministry of Jesus is pretty early in his ministry when he got his disciples into a boat and they're going to the other side of the sea and a pretty dramatic storm arises out of nowhere. The boat is filling with water. Uh, It is evident that a boat is about to sink. The disciples are terrified. They are annoyed. And the reason they're annoyed is because Jesus is sound asleep. He is completely unfazed by the storm that is raging around them. They run to wake him up, accusing him of not caring about them. Do you not even care that we're perishing? Jesus woke up. He looked at the storm. He told it to be still. And in one instant, everything was calm. That's a really revealing story. I mean, the primary point of that story is that it reveals to us who Jesus Christ is. We know that because at the end of it, the disciples go, who is this man? That even the wind and the waves obey him. We are to see that story and think, this is, this is not a mere man. This is God in the flesh. But it not only reveals to us who Jesus is, it reveals to us who the disciples are. I mean, we we don't really know what to do with the disciples at this point. They have left everything to follow Jesus, so we know there is some faith and belief in Jesus. Yet, all of a sudden, these men that we believed were strong in faith, who had left so much, in one instant begin to accuse Jesus of not caring at all. They were unconvinced that he could help them and he could deliver them and All of a sudden, in just this moment, we realize that the disciples aren't near as mature as we thought they were. You ever notice that there's nothing like a storm to expose us? Now, certainly, the storms expose Jesus. We can all tell stories about how we've seen God in the midst of our difficult situation. One of the things we often fail to see is that there is nothing that exposes us like a storm. And I'm not even talking about the big one. Temptations, trials, frustrations, irritations, small inconveniences are all exposing who we really are. I think that's, that's one of the most encouraging things about the book of Philippians. Not only the words that are written here, but the context in which they are written. Because here's the Apostle Paul in a very difficult situation. Apostle Paul. Do you know what the word apostle means? It means a sent one. Someone who goes and advances and goes to new territory and plants new churches and starts new works. That's the call of an apostle. If you look at the the calling on Paul's life in Acts 9, Jesus says that he has been appointed, listen, to carry my name. 
He was an apostle to the Gentiles. The, the call that Jesus himself put on Paul's life was that you need to carry the name, to take the gospel to the Gentiles, to go where it has not been preached. And all of a sudden, it seems like there's a bit of a conflict between what God called him to do and what he is now able to do. Paul is chained in prison. He has already been in prison for two years. Now he was sent to Rome. He's in prison for two more years. So here is a man who has been called by Jesus himself to advance the gospel and be sent. And yet he's chained to a Roman soldier. It just seems that his circumstances that God has put him in don't match with what he thought God had called him to do. And his circumstances begin to expose him. And so in all of Philippians 1, particularly in verses 12 through 18, we're, we're seeing Paul tell the Philippian church how he's doing. That's why he begins in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, they have sent Epaphroditus to visit him to get a report. And he says, I, I, I do want to tell you how I'm doing. And in verses 12 through 26, he tells them. And the most surprising thing is not what he says, but what he doesn't say. He's not bitter. He's not irritable. He's not frustrated. He's not mad at God. He's not discouraged. He's not grumbling. He seems deeply encouraged. You say, how is it possible for a man with this calling on his life, finding himself in this situation, to respond this way? And I would say the answer is simple. Because he ever, before he ever got in prison, he got his ambitions right. He got his desires in the right place. He got his wants correct. And that's really what this exposes to us. Paul's ambitions. What is it that Paul wanted most? For the next few weeks, we're going to look at these verses and the way in which it exposes Paul's ambitions. And this morning, we're going to look at verses 12, 12 through 18 on how it exposes Paul's gospel-advancing ambition. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean is Paul's deep desire, I would say consuming desire, to simply make sure that Jesus Christ is known. What I think this text is calling us to is to embrace a gospel-advancing ambition, to have as our ambition our deep, driving desire, which leads us to action to just make sure the gospel is being advanced and Jesus is being known. I mean, look at the way this is exposed. Look at Philippians 1, 12 through 18. If you're opened in your Bibles to Philippians 1, say amen. amen. In verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to, here it is, advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, 
Christ is proclaimed, in that I rejoice. These circumstances that Paul finds himself in expose what he really wants. And what he really wants is not his freedom. What he really wants is not to be released from prison. What he really wants is not to accomplish the things he thought in his mind were a part of his calling. What he really wants is the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And somehow he doesn't see a conflict between his ambition and his circumstances. You say, well, what is gospel advancing ambition look like? Because I want it. I want you to have it. I think Paul shows us what it looks like. The first thing it looks like is this. It looks like seeing every obstacle as an opportunity. I encourage you to write that down. What does gospel advancing ambition look like? It looks like seeing every obstacle as an opportunity. Seeing every obstacle as an opportunity. Obviously, There's no obstacle bigger than someone who is called to be sent than being bound. And so he is. It's almost hard to seem past this. But Paul didn't seem bothered. Look at verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I mean, what if Paul's ambition was to plant 36 churches in the next 24 months. Man, that sounds great, doesn't it? I mean, if Paul wrote that, we would think, man, Paul is a massive visionary. Man, that is, that is incredible. I, I want to see 36 churches planted in the next 24 months. But Paul's ambition is really simpler than that. Because listen, if Paul's ambition was to plant a certain number of churches in a certain number of months, he is now unable to do that because of his circumstances, so he is not able to fill his ambition. His ambition is simpler. It's simply this, to see the gospel of Jesus Christ get to as many people as possible. So no matter where I am, no matter what my circumstance, my ambition is still the same. I just want to make sure people hear about the message of Jesus Christ. I love the way Eugene Peterson translates this passage in the message. He translates verse 12 by saying, my imprisonment has had the opposite of its intended effect. In other words, the intended effect of his imprisonment was to stop the advance of the gospel, but it had the opposite effect because Paul says, what has happened to me being in prison has actually served to advance the gospel. Well, how's that the case? Well, a couple of ways. One is in verse 13. First, the gospel has been advanced because it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. The imperial guard. Now, we have to know by now that Paul makes the most of a prison stay. I mean, in Acts 16, we saw the way the church at Philippi was started. And Paul goes out to a little women's Bible study and leads a lady named Lydia to Christ. Her family gets saved. He then sees a demonic slave girl delivered from her demonic spirit. She's a part of the church. And then we see him go to jail where he leads the jailer and all of his family to Christ. So at the end of Acts 16, half of the church members are related to the jailer. I mean, Paul has figured out how to make the most of a prison stay. And here he is again. He's bound in a prison and it's said that the whole imperial guard and all the rest have heard about Christ. The imperial guard is 
the Praetorian Guard. You may see that mentioned in your version of Scripture. It is the most elite of all of the soldiers of the day. They were a hand-picked group of people. They were the personal guards to Caesar. They were the special forces. You had to be between the ages of 15 to 32 to be in the Praetorian Guard. You could only serve for 12 years, and then you retired. They were referred to as the kingmakers of the empire because once they stepped aside, they had formed this incredibly powerful veterans group that really had the ability to determine the direction of the empire. And they were appointed to watch the Apostle Paul in four-hour shifts. So think about it. Here's Paul chained, and one Praetorian guard comes and watches him for four hours, and he hears about Jesus. And then another one comes for four hours, and he hears about Jesus. And then another one comes, and he hears about Jesus. And another one comes, and he hears about Jesus. And they're all hearing about Jesus. One commentator by the name of Ray Stedman says this. He says, if you want to feel sorry for anyone... Feel sorry for the young soldiers. Here the soldier is trying to live a quiet pagan life, but is chained to a man who can't stop talking about Jesus. <laughs> I mean, it's true. I mean, it is their job to sit right there with the Apostle Paul and watch him, and every single one that comes hears the gospel. Why? Because Paul's ambition was just, no matter the circumstance, to get the gospel to whoever was there. Whoever the audience might be, they were the ones that heard the gospel. Now, now here's the fascinating part. God, in his providence, knew that in order for the gospel to spread, it was actually more strategic to put Paul in prison than to leave Paul out. And the reason is this is because by the end of the first century, we know that the gospel had already been taken to northern England, which is a remarkable thought given the times in which this was happening. Already in northern England, you wonder, well, how is it that it got so far so quickly? And most historians will tell you because of Roman soldiers. Advancing the empire, and many of them retiring and going to all places all over the world, Here are people who heard about the gospel and then spread the gospel in a way that one man couldn't have. So could it be, I'm just random, crazy thought here, could it be that God knew that the greatest way to advance the gospel to as many people is to put Paul in prison, allow him to share the gospel with people who would have never heard unless Paul was in prison, and then to unleash these special agents out into the nations to take the gospel they heard from Paul. And all of a sudden, this massive obstacle is no longer an obstacle. It's just an incredibly God-given opportunity. And the only reason that happened is because he did not spend his time in prison grumbling and complaining and pouting and wallowing. He simply did what God had called him to do. I'm just going to share the gospel with whoever is here. You say, well, I wonder how many people heard the gospel from Paul. Well, can you just turn over a page to Philippians 4, verse, Philippians chapter 4, verse 22? This is, I love that sound. You hear that? It's not the sound of apps. It's the sound of pages being turned. I love it. 
Philippians 4, verse 22, look what it says. Now, Paul is giving greetings to the church in Philippi, and he says this, all of the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Those are not people related to Caesar. That is people who works in Caesar's household. So what Paul is doing at the end of his letter, just to give a little clue of what's happened while he's in prison, is he's saying, not only am I greeting you, but all the saints greet you, and included in the saints are the saints in Caesar's household. How are there saints in Caesar's household? Because Paul gave them the gospel and called them to respond so that in this letter he says there are tons of people in Caesar's household who are saints and want to greet you. Because this was not an obstacle, it was an opportunity. But, but look at verse 14, going back to chapter 1. Oh, there it is again. Not only did the imperial guard hear the gospel, but look at what else happened. And most of the brothers, what does that mean? Brothers and sisters in Christ, really that word would be brethren, church members outside of prison, have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. And they're much more bold to speak the word without fear. So not only are people in prison coming to Christ, but those outside are hearing about Paul's imprisonment and it's stirring up something in them. We know from the end of chapter one that the believers in Philippi were enduring the same conflict that Paul endured in Philippi, which is beatings, imprisonment, suffering, the taking of their property. If you were gonna follow Jesus and be baptized publicly, you were going to suffer. It was hard. And yet somehow they watched Paul suffer And they watched his response in prison and they saw the sufficiency of Jesus Christ in the midst of prison and something happened inside of them. They they got bold. They were empowered to share the gospel even more. It says they became confident in the Lord that if God puts them in prison, that God's going to take care of them. Their confidence increased. They were no longer worried. And they were much more bold to speak the word without fear. There was this daring mentality that was being stirred up in their hearts as they watched Paul suffer. And Paul, God was using Paul. Listen, the reason the church was being emboldened is because they saw Paul in prison. So if Paul was not in prison, the believers wouldn't have been emboldened. Do you see what's happening? This one situation that seemed like the greatest obstacle to his life is now the means by which an entire group of people are hearing the gospel that would have never heard it otherwise and the means by which believers are being empowered. So instead of just Paul out there preaching, there are hundreds of people who are now spreading the gospel because of Paul's obstacle. And could it be that that obstacle in your life, which you think is hindering you from doing what God has called you to do, is actually under the sovereign control of God, and he wants to use it to do something through you and in you that could not be done, listen, without that obstacle? Could it be that it is not meant to be a hindrance? It is meant to be the means by which God accomplishes his work through you. And the reason that's so significant is because life is filled with seeming obstacles. A diagnosis. A loss. A job transition, a relational status, physical limitations, a dream that dies. Can we just acknowledge that life is filled with these things? And if we cannot see beyond them, 
then the result is going to be that the only thing we will do is wallow in all of them and never be used by God. But the other option is to see that God is sovereign over all of the obstacles. He put me in that obstacle so that I could preach the gospel and share Christ in a way that would not be possible without the obstacle. You see, if you go tell somebody about how good God is when everything's good, that's meaningful. But if you go tell somebody about how good God is when everything's bad, that's really meaningful. Here's Paul with this ambition to advance the gospel who because of that ambition can take his greatest obstacle and see it as his greatest opportunity, which is what happens to all of us when our ambition becomes just to get the message of Christ to as many people as we can, no matter where we are. It turns our obstacles into opportunities. The other one is this, a gospel advancing ambition, write this down, also demands that we care more about Christ's name than our name. So it demands that we see our obstacles as opportunities. It also demands that we care more about Christ's name than our own name. Write that down. We're going to have a gospel advancing ambition. Obstacles to opportunities, caring more about Christ's name than our name. Verse 15. Paul says there are some of these emboldened people, verse 14, that preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, Paul explains it. There's two groups of people. They're both preaching the gospel, some with right motives, some with wrong. Look look at the text, verse 16. The latter, those with good motives, they do it out of love. They love God, they love me, and they're just preaching the gospel, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. But look at verse 17. Look how fascinating. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not because they love God and they care about the kingdom, but because they're somehow motivated selfishly. Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. This is unbelievable. There are people outside while Paul is in prison who are preaching the gospel because they believe that if they can lead more people to Christ than Paul does, or if they can slander the name of Paul or undermine the ministry of Paul, that it will cause him misery. But look at that. They're thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Their motive is to make Paul miserable. Now, Paul dealt with this his whole ministry. He always had people coming to undermine his ministry, to say that he wasn't actually an apostle, that he didn't have right motives. This was all throughout his ministry. But so for Paul, there's not only this confining in prison, but there's this awareness while he's stuck and can't defend himself that there are people out there talking bad about him, undermining his ministry, and preaching the gospel just to get more attention than Paul did. And there is nothing he can do about it. He can't defend himself. So here's their whole plan. Paul's in prison. He can't do anything. So we're going to go preach the gospel. And in such a way that we get more attention than the Apostle Paul, we make people not believe good things about the Apostle Paul, and then he looks bad and we look good. There's only one problem with their plan. One small problem. Paul didn't care. That had had to be so frustrating. That it just didn't get to him. You know know how you try, you would never do this because you're more godly than I am, but you know you might say something to try to get somebody and stir up something that doesn't bother them and it's, oh, you know, it's just like I I wanted to get you with that. And it, 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 it didn't happen, it never worked. I mean, look at what he says in verse 18. What then? Can I, can I translate that for you? 
Who cares? So what? Paul, Paul, you know, Epaphroditus comes. Paul, you're not going to believe this. There's all kinds of people out there, and they're preaching the gospel not because they love Jesus, because they hate you. They're saying all kinds of bad things about you. They're undermining your ministry. They're undoing all the things you did. Paul says, well, are they preaching the gospel? Yes, but that's not the point, Paul. The point is, is they're slandering you, and Paul says, so what? Who cares? Only that, verse 18, in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, whether in good motives or bad motives, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. He had zero desire to defend himself. Paul cared about one name. It was the name of Christ and not his own. It was this gospel ambition, just this desire for Christ to be proclaimed. And if it wasn't being proclaimed by people with right motives, but it was still being proclaimed, then, then praise the Lord. He, think about this. He cared more about the gospel going out than he did his own reputation. And can I just say this? I'm not sure that in this generation there's anything that hinders the gospel more than our concern for our own name. Like, what's keeping the gospel from advancing is not the devil. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. It is not a lack of money or resources. What keeps it is a people who are more afraid of man than they are of God. And so we just don't share the gospel. Why? Because we're concerned about our name. And the Apostle Paul somewhere had come to a place where he died to what anybody else thought of him And was able to, in full release, just say, well, it doesn't matter to me as long as the gospel is proclaimed. In that, I'll rejoice. He got to a place where he saw every obstacle as an opportunity and cared more about Christ's name than his own. And you know what I love about this? I love the freedom and the joy in the life of the Apostle Paul. The freedom. Imagine the freedom. Can you imagine this? Of not caring what anyone else thinks. Students, imagine that. The freedom of not caring to have this attitude. So what? Who cares? Like, I'm going to tell people about Jesus. Who cares what they say? But listen, it's not just the students that needed adults. Children, imagine the freedom of just not being bound anymore with the constant thoughts of how people are viewing me and what they think about me. That is life-changing. And the joy, in that I rejoice. Can you imagine getting to the place where your joy is not determined by your circumstances, but by Christ? So put me in prison, the joy is still there because I can accomplish what I want to accomplish even in the midst of very difficult circumstances. I just gotta tell you, as a brother in Christ to you, I I read this and I wanna live more this way. I want to know more of this freedom. I want to know more of this joy. I want to come to the place where there is nothing I want more than the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the extent that when a surprising obstacle comes my way, I simply look at it and I say, just maybe that's an opportunity to advance the gospel. Let me tell you something. You, you know, listen to me. You know what that takes? In order to live that way, to have this gospel advancing ambition, to die to the fear of man, 
to be able to have a big picture of all of your obstacles, it demands one thing. Listen to this and I'll be done. It demands a greater surrender. The surrender of your ambitions, the surrender of your dreams and your goals and your desires and all of the things you've wanted in life, taking all of those and laying them at the foot of the cross and saying, Jesus, I give all of these to you. If you want to crush them, that's okay with me. What I want is your ambition for my life. A surrender of our circumstances. And some of us this morning are so bound by your circumstances that you can't see anything but your circumstances. You haven't done anything for the kingdom in years. You're not being involved in church. Why? Because your circumstances. You're not sharing the gospel. Why? Your circumstances. You don't have any joy. Why? Because your circumstances. And could it be that this morning you need to surrender that circumstance to the Lord and say, Lord, it's a reality. I want you to use it for your glory. And a surrendering of your reputation. Students, let me say to you this morning, what could be better this morning? The surrendering of your reputation. God, I give my reputation to you. I'm going to do what you've called me to do, and I'm going to leave it up to you to determine what people think of me. I will not be bothered by that. I'm going to surrender my reputation. What about every one of you just surrendering the reputation? God, I want your name more than my name. What I believe God is calling us to this morning is a greater surrender. Every one of us, in some way, a greater level of surrender, surrendering something to the Lord that would free us up to care more about the advancement of the gospel. And I don't know what it is for you. It could be for the very first time you want to surrender your life to Christ, that you have not surrendered to Christ. You have not trusted him alone as the payment for your sins. You are not living a life of following Christ. This morning, take the first step of surrender. But it may be that you've been following Jesus for years and yet God is calling you to a greater surrender this morning. And what I want to ask you to do is if you sense in your heart a call to greater surrender, part of the significance of getting on your knees is not only humbling yourself before God, but you know what it is? It's taking something, look, and leaving it here and getting up without it. God, I want to take this dream and this ambition. I want to take this and I want to leave it here. I want to surrender this to you and I want to get up and ask that you would give me freedom from it. And by the way, we don't just do that once. We do that every single day. So this morning, for the sake of God's kingdom, would you release whatever it is that's holding you back? Surrender fully to Christ that your life might advance the gospel. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.